You're listening to episode 297 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with season one of The Magicians. And we're back to uh, status quo. You're at your house. I'm at my house. But uh, yeah. you're alone for uh, a rare occurrence. Yeah, this is uh, spring break for me, but the kids' school system does not get spring break. So uh, I can... I brought all the uh, the recording equipment upstairs so I can sit in the in the room where sun's coming in rather than down in the basement. All right, sounds good. So, uh, and uh, hopefully the it's just me and the dog, and she looks like she's pretty content lying in the the beam of sunlight coming in the back window. So cool. Can your dog bend light? No, she cannot. Okay, right. she cool. can fart though. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, um, what I mentioned that if you're interested in supporting Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, we have a Patreon plan. And just real quickly, uh, it obviously helps to defray the cost of producing Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. But we made some changes in the last few weeks that we mentioned. I don't think we mentioned it last week, but probably the week before. You know, at a dollar a month, we'll cover any genre show that you choose, any episode, any season. At the $3 level, we'll cover any genre film. And at the $5 level, we'll produce and publish a podcast covering any genre show episode of your choice or film of your choice. And in addition, we'll produce and publish a podcast that explores any top 10 list related to genre TV. So uh, we hope you decide to join our Patreon plan, uh, like Fred from the Netherlands, Dan, Cindy, and Mike. Thank you guys, as always, for your support. All right, um, some news this week, and Baron Bo Odar announced in an interview in France, I, I guess it was during the Cannes Festival, uh, it's difficult to, you know, not that I'm reading French, I'm reading somebody's translation of it but that he said the release date for season two of Dark is going to be announced in two weeks, which at the time of this podcast release, it'll be about a week, and that season three will be the last. So that's pretty big news, good news. Um, I think as we've said all along, it seems that a June release for season two might happen, but I guess we'll find out shortly. And then some people hear that and be disappointed, like, oh, we're only going to get three seasons. But, you know, we're going to get, you think, you figure we're going to get like a full story, like planned out from beginning to end, which yeah. I think can be preferable to, you know, maybe, you know, a show going on forever with, you know, without a real a, a plan. You know, we're just going to get the, the whole story here, which is cool. Right. I mean, look, we're, we're going to get like a 28 to 30 hour movie. So, right. And as you said, they've got plenty of time to bring it to a satisfying conclusion. So, yeah, hey, that that's something to look forward to. And I think something to be happy about. And anytime we lament the end of a great show, another great show pops up on the horizon. And there sure. we go down that path. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right, well, let's talk magicians. This is episode three of season one, Consequences of Advanced Spellcasting, written by Henry Alonzo Myers, who wrote for Future Man, Chuck, which was a show I never watched, although I understand it was really good. And he, good, also, yeah. he also wrote for the original Charmed series. 
directed by Scott Smith, who directed episode 102, and this one aired February 1st, 2016. Just in general, you don't have to tell me your grade yet, but how'd you like this one? Uh, oh, that's not good. Gosh, I, I liked did, it. Did you? I mean, it, I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't bad, I guess. I don't know. Like, I just feel like at the at the end of it, I'm just like I just a general sense of like neither here nor there. Okay. I guess. Okay. Well, yeah. well, I guess I like the world building they're doing. I like the character building they're doing, and they don't like a lot of shows have a ton of characters that they have to work with so that you know they've kept that character pool at a manageable level and i i like the opening because it really lays out i don't know if this is going to be the theme for season one but magic and its power and i love how they immediately cut to that scene of julia going to the atm machine yeah and just withdrawing a bunch of cash sure because that's one level of power and as dean fogg said in the earlier episode take over the world well we don't teach that here but you know have a go at it if you want yeah, <laughs> yeah um really great song it's, the song is literally called intro by the i don't know whether it's the double x or the xx is the name of the band but it's just you know i i had heard that song before i had no idea obviously from my inability to know how to pronounce the name of the band who did it but i definitely have heard that song before so it's a really cool uh song to play literally called intro as they're introducing the show and like i said that cool montage of between julia and fog talking about the dangers of magic and here she is um you know obviously representative of that though i will say by the end of this episode she has much more of my sympathy than quentin does oh uh, no question and in terms of the magic like we mentioned the the power of what you can do with the magic but he also mentions the power magic can have over the magician that we teach a certain way at break bills it's imperative that you follow the course and she's not at break bills so we don't know what pete's doing at his school but that power that magic can have over the magician leading them down that rabbit hole which i guess we kind of see with alice's brother and what happens to the girl he befriends not that he goes down the rabbit hole but it's he doesn't consider the consequences before helping her and obviously it has a, a horrific end to it what happens to charlie is a case in point for what the break bills way i guess because obviously the break bills is not quite as cool as pete's group you know they seem at first at, at this point they seem to be i guess more understanding more egalitarian while break bills seems very snobby and you know like only only the best get in you know right and so everyone else good luck but no you can't play here um so you know it, i guess the you know public versus private school kind of mentality that we would tend to sympathize with the public school kids in in this situation but 
know, Fogg has a good point, and Charlie shows us that point that this is really dangerous stuff and not meant to be dealt with kind of like willy-nilly. Right, and they've already made that connection with the Ivy League schools, which was the plan for Julia and Quentin. But, but yeah, as you said, this is sort of like the Ivy League of magic, and Pete's the state school that's solid, a good school. You're going to get a good education there, or so it appears, but I guess that's not even fair to say yet. We don't know that for sure. Right, right. But, uh, but obviously one of the storylines – revolves around julia and and pete's group i don't even know what to call them in my notes i call them the renegades which sounds like a good name for a band julia and the renegades yeah it does sound a good name and she's off to a good start but what comes up for her and you wonder whether or not this is something they teach at break bills about keeping your magic life separate from your personal life and how juggling the two it may be the most difficult obstacle you have to face as a magician. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, and I love how he mentions, you know, it's great to have that secret of magic, but that comes with a cost as well. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think like, you know, Quentin's, well, I mean, everyone here, I guess, is, you know, they're trying to find some way to deal with it. But Quentin being the, uh, the the Tyro magician here um, is you know is probably struggling with it more, right? And, and of course, she's struggling with the relationship she has with her boyfriend, who immediately thinks she's seeing someone else. And my first reaction was, well, that's kind of a leap, dude. But uh, you know, I guess they're old enough, they're experienced enough in relationships that he feels like he sees the signs that perhaps he's seen them before in other relationships Mm -hmm. and of course in a way she is seeing someone else i mean she is seeing pete not in the way her boyfriend thinks yeah and she you know kind of is able to i don't know either cleverly or uh cynically uh change so like here's the reason why oh i'm addicted to adderall you know so it still is some explanation as to why my behavior is so different now doesn't say her behavior is going to change it just gives him a reason well one of the things i really like about the early confrontation with with her boyfriend and then the, the later scene with with the adderall excuse is that she really is in a lot of emotional pain over the inevitability of breaking up with James. I, I think she knows that's got to happen, that, yeah. that if she has to make a choice, there's really no choice. She's going with magic. And you, you, you get a feel well, you see the keys in her hand. And at first I'm thinking, well, she's going to like give him her keys and say, we're done. I'm moving out. Here's your keys. You know, um, and then he says, no, it's your apartment. No. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think we know yet, do <laughs> Yeah, no. Um, so, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, it, it does seem like that is just something that is inevitable, uh, especially since now we've got the uh, blatant, which was pretty much from the, the word one, one of the first time we see Julia and Quentin together, she's lying in bed with them, you know, so... Um, 
that even though they're quote unquote just friends, you know, we knew that 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 shipping angle was was coming in eventually, and here it is. Um, apparently, you know, Quentin's reason why he's not going to help out Julia is because, you know, she hurt his feelings. Right. How did you not know I felt that way about you? And uh, look, we know she knew. Sure. How could she not? So do we blame her for not reciprocating? Of course not. Do we blame her for not confronting him? Look, you're my best friend. I love you, but not that way. Should that have occurred earlier? Perhaps. Yeah, maybe. But that's, you know, who can make that call? You know, like you're in that. I don't know if I've ever been in that situation. I don't think I have. But, you know, you are. That's that's an awkward situation. You say, yeah, we can't blame her for not confronting him about it. You know, we could, you know, she would probably think uh, he'll find someone else. He'll get over it. He'll realize that it's not happening. Uh, but no, Quentin, she's underestimated his tenacity. Then we'd have to go and have the Harry Met Sally discussion. Can men and women truly be just friends? But right, that's a discussion for another day. Now, what, what do you think about Well, <laughs> what do you think about Marina? I don't know. I'm still, I'm still not sure. I mean, she's clever, obviously, but she obviously is manipulative as well. And, well, and um and I love her dry sense of not necessarily humor but just just that dry wit that she has. Mhm. Yeah, definitely. Um she has you know she you know again seems like I'm thinking like future Julia. You know, here is someone who maybe started this whole renegade group because she was rejected and so you know she, a lot of this what what her attitude especially towards break bills is kind of one of anger and resentment it seems like um but also you know we can't deny that it's what she says sounds reasonable you know she's like telling julia you have to commit to magic you can't you know she's one is like saying you can't go having this extra life you know the two are going to conf- conflict with one another um and ultimately the other life is going to lose out so you know you, you you gotta you gotta be all in right and right. she even mentions the fact of keeping her boyfriend around as a fail safe in case the magic thing doesn't work out that you got to cut the net Otherwise, you're, you're never going to be a true mag- magician. And like the relationship with Quentin like that we were just talking about, should she have had that conversation and, and just cut his net right away or get in the position they're in now where he still holds out hope that someday the two of them will be a couple? I don't know. I'm not really feeling that, but I guess we'll, we'll see moving down the road. Professor Sunderland, who... Is really growing on me. I, I liked her in house and, and I really like her here. And there are times when I feel little electric sparks between her and Quentin, particularly on her side. And then the scene develops and I think, no, I don't yeah. know what the hell I'm thinking. So I, I'm, I'm going with the no there, but she comes looking for this missing book that apparently was taken from one of 
Elliot's parties. And I, again, I, I mentioned last time, Elliot's my favorite male character at this point. Yeah. Nothing tonight has diminished that. I love him. Yeah, Elliot's the best for sure. He's right. my favorite character straight up. So I, I mean, his reasoning for finding the lost book is that if we don't, the faculty's going to look at our parties and we can't let yeah. that happen. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's no real concern for what might happen if this book is out in the world. It's just like, oh, we don't want them coming in and scrutinizing our parties. Right. Now, which is on the one, on the one hand, somebody might say that that plot twist that the book flies to its mate and it turns out to be the book that I assume Katie gave to Pete and Marina in the backseat of the car that, that time. Right. But it still was a great, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Scene that didn't feel contrived. I just really liked that, how it unfolded. So, uh, but then (laughs) Elliot, when he comes in and realizes, you know, who he's up against, we're classically trained and we want our book. I'm yeah, like, I love it. Right, right. Which is, you know, again, that dichotomy we talked about, right? Like Elliot is has a very condescending, dare I say, snooty attitude towards the other wizards, right? He thinks they're like the, you know, the dirt version of himself and that he's just naturally better than them because he's at break bills. Right. And this scene, I think more than any, has such a librarian's feel to it with the flying books and the books are mating. And yeah. <laughs> just, that uh, was hilarious. That, that was hilarious. He's like, are they? He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what really comes out of this scene, and you mentioned Elliot's condescending nature, and, and I certainly agree. But Quentin, I don't know what you're doing here, Jules. And I'm thinking, like, wait, what? Yeah. I mean, she's got a chance to study magic. Break bills wouldn't give her the opportunity. But then the truth comes out. You never even told them about me, did you? So, again, on the one hand, he's a freshman. Does a freshman go up and tell the coach, hey, you know, uh, you cut so-and-so, and and he's really good, so why don't you put her on the team? Uh, No, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't – when Julia said, talk to them about me, I don't know what she really expected. Now that, on the other hand, how hard would would it be for Quentin to go and say, hey, you know, Dean Fogg, I I know – you know, Julia didn't make it, but I she's the one who taught me about magic, and I think maybe you might want to look at her again. And they say, hey, Quinn, doesn't work like that. He's like, all right, fine. But at he would have tried. tried. At least he tried, right? He didn't even bother. And his whole attitude is, again, just like, uh, not unlike um, Elliot's, which is just kind of like, well, you know, you just, you fail. You're just mad because you failed, and so... You know, I don't see what you're so bent about. You know, he's like, just go on with your life. You're, you're talented anyway. Like, and, and then she counters with the thing about, well, do, you know, don't you understand how important magic is to me? And it has been for so long, which is a good point. I mean, both are good points, but it's just in the end, 
I, I just don't like Quentin's attitude here. It just he seems like just really selfish. Just like, well, I'm in, you're not too bad. Yeah. Right. I mean, he sees what's going on here. It's a group of hedge witches, which Elliot gives us a, l- a little more elaborate explanation of what a hedge witch actually is. And, and again, with his condescending attitude. But I don't know what you're doing here. How can you are, – are you an idiot? How can you not know what she's doing here? This is clearly her last chance. And – why would she not grab it? Sure. And yeah. I love the way that conversation ends up out on the street with Elliot standing off to the side, not really knowing what to say that he probably wants to just grab Quentin and go. But I, I think he senses this is a conversation that has to be allowed to play out a little bit. I was just saying, you know, it's occurred, you know, like the break bills, if their goal is to train people in magic, you think that they would be more inclusive because obviously this group is evidence that there are talented magicians out in the world that break bills won't take. So if they want to make sure people, if you know, use magic properly, they, they need to, you know, increase, you know, the number of people that they bring in and, and not reject people. Like, you know, like Julie's got a good point. Like she's talented. She's smart. Why did they reject her? It doesn't make sense. No, I agree. Uh, You wonder whether it's part of a test for them to see what she will do with that rejection, because they've tried to make it clear at break bills. Things are not going to be easy. Things are not going to always go well, which perhaps we could argue that Pete's group teaches that earlier and maybe even a little more often. But but again, we're three episodes in, so that's probably not really fair to say. But just to touch on that Adderall episode that she has with James and she tells him she really loves him. I don't know about you, but she's not all that convincing to me. And and I would think at some point what's going to happen is exactly what Marina predicts, that James is going to follow her one night or one day and ask what's going on. Now, I assume he's not going to be able to get in the way Elliot and Quentin were able to get in because they have a certain ability, but she gets that text from Marina in the middle of the night, calling her with a task. And even then I wondered whether it was just a test to see not if she would come, but maybe how quickly she would come. Sure. Sure. But yeah. uh, Anyway, uh, obviously a lot of this episode has to do with Alice's brother and, her refusal to give up in her quest to find out what's going on. But I did like the fact that the school tests for magical areas. And I guess we should have expected that from that first uh, episode and the tour. And we see all the different kinds of magic and abilities that go on here. And we learned that Alice can bend light, which is pretty damn cool i mean we Mm -hmm. thought all she was going to be able to do was make little glass ponies or whatever right how perfect that quentin is undetermined yeah yeah and Um, it's almost as if they're purposely asking us to dislike him or not connect with him 
Yeah, you know, like I, I'm going to kind of dial back on what I said earlier because I thought, you know, I felt like, you know, there was this connection because, you know, he's kind of like a nerdy guy. He's in all this stuff that I'm into as well. But, you know, as it goes on, I just like this episode. And part, I think part of the reason I, I didn't like this episode is I just felt this this total distance from Quentin, like like almost an antipathy. But on the other hand, I'm kind of with him on this Alice episode, you know? So it's like like one second, I think Quentin's a total idiot and jerk. And the next minute, I think he's being like very reasonable and everything, which I guess that can speak to complexity of character. But I'm feeling like also maybe a little bit of inconsistency of character. Okay. And that makes sense. And I keep questioning what's drawing the two of them together we understand what her purpose is but why does he keep following her why you know why do they always seem to be hanging out together whether it's the cafeteria in this little project to find charlie is he attracted to her she to him we don't really get any sense of either of those but yeah well except for her telling him he's got a stupid face. Well, well, yeah, but that was because uh, she was drunk and, and she's not yeah. used to drinking. So, uh, yeah, you know that 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 was pretty funny at, at yeah. the party. But uh, um, and, and then I did think I thought he was supposed to live wherever uh, Elliot is living. Yeah, uh, he's he's at the cottage. Okay, right. So, well, they, they, they talk about that. So I guess then he was just on campus with Alice and that's yeah. when they come to the cottage and realize they can't get in. They have to figure right. out a way to get in. Okay. Which I thought was clever as well. Yeah. Uh, are Elliot and Margo a couple or do they just have this bizarre relationship? Yeah. Right. Right. It's, I mean, it's, it's the way they're to sitting on that couch together. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like there are some elements, they, they seem to be together a lot, but on the other hand, um, they, they seem pretty independent. I don't, I don't, so I don't know. Yeah. So, Kids uh, these days, you know. Well, and again, three episodes in that, that's one of those things we'll keep an eye on, but I guess it's the next day because she's pretty drunk at this party and and really despondent is is far too powerful a word to describe her feeling but but she's certainly upset that she hasn't been able to reach her brother so the next day they go to the fountain i I guess they've got some spell that uh, i think he says it's a locator spell and it leads them to that fountain they feel like nothing's happening. They walk away and then we see the hand rise out of the water and we're thinking like, oh, that's kind of creepy. And then it gives yeah. the middle finger. And yeah. again, I would say how librarians, but the librarians wouldn't do that because they it's wouldn't. a fam- they, family right, show. Right. They and, 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 and as we said many times, you have to respect that about the librarians, but this ain't the librarians. And right. that, that's show. a good thing as well. Yeah. Because there's drinking and sex and the F word left, right and center. So, yeah. Right. So they get back to, I guess it's her room because she's concerned about whether or not Charlie even knows she's looking for him and there are glass figurines everywhere. So I think it's fairly safe to say that Charlie's behind this or is he yeah. right? I mean, that's, that's 
what we want to believe, but what we saw of the beast in that scene certainly indicates a very powerful entity, certainly capable of uh, creating a few little glass ponies, you would think. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, now that you bring up, you know, the beast and Alice's whole desire to, um, you know, try and connect with her brother again, you know, basically, especially at first using the same spell they used before. And again, Quentin's right. Like saying, are you crazy? Like, did you not see what happened last time we did that? You know, he's like, someone died. Right. And, you know, I guess what I also then really like about this scene, and I guess this is, you know, Elliot comes in, and this must be when he takes Quentin away to uh, look for the book, but talked earlier about the not only the world building, but the relationship building. And now Alice and Margot are left together and there's this uneasy peace between the two and Margot just sitting there just waiting not going to say anything finally Alice I need your help now was that so hard <laughs> just what a, <laughs> yeah you know that was really funny what a great scene obviously she hopes that Margot knows something about her brother i think she said her brother died five years earlier i think Margot. i think they might have said she's a junior so she wouldn't really have known him but but she does say oh yeah i think i know something about that and then she says oh i know a girl who would be able to help you oh really give me her name and alice actually thinks she's going to go alone and Right. And and again, we have to have that scene because the two of them have to be thrown together, and and we we've got roughly six characters, so we're going to see them in all different permutations. I mean, we, we've kind of talked about that in in a lot of the shows we've covered about how different characters are paired together, and you know you know we see the the individual dynamic that they have that maybe is different when they're paired with with somebody else. But what's the conflict about? Why does Alice feel uneasy? Is it that she's intimidated by Margot? Don't know at this point. Yeah, it's well, it's like last episode, I think, where you know Margot was like trying to help her out. I think they were looking through clothes, and uh, you know Margot's basically like, you know, I'm just trying to be your friend, and you know, and and she's. Alice basically says, I, I don't think you're trying to do that, you know. Um, so I, I believe is the my quote to, to end the last episode is what she said. Um, yeah, basically, I don't feel like you do. Like, I don't feel like you're actually trying to be my friend. Like, you got something. So she, there's this obvious level of distrust. That I think Alice has not just from Mario, but pretty much everyone. You know, she's very guarded and doesn't give up much about herself, except, uh, ironically, to Quentin. Well, I don't know if that's ironic, but just Quentin seems to be the guy she confides in. Right. And they do track down this Emily and we get the background for what happened to Charlie. And I I used the word horrific at the beginning of the podcast. and, And obviously this was a spell that went horribly wrong. And she tells the story that that like so many young college freshmen, I fell in love with one of my professors Instead of creating a spell 
to make him like her, she created a spell or, or found a spell to make herself prettier. And of course, it had just terrible consequences. And Hugh comes in and says, I can fix this. See what I did there? So you, yes. <laughs> and I mean, that's the first thing that occurred to me when, when Charlie says, I think he even says, I can fix this or I, I can. Yeah, he, he literally does say, I can fix this. Yes. And I, I just love I me mean, how apropos after coming off of uh, Hill House a few, right. uh, few weeks back. But, you know. Well, and, and it's so funny. You, you don't almost think like Hill House had already shown before this because it's like the exact same situation. Hugh always saying, I can fix this when he totally can't fix it. And the same thing with Charlie here saying, I can fix this when his ability to fix it obviously is not a Right, thing. and apparently he is what's referred to as a Niffin where the magic just overpowers the person so that the person's no longer there it's just it's just magic and they use the the term that he just burned and and certainly visually that that's the way it appeared so we don't know if you know if if charlie is you know in one of these other dimensions that we talked about last time doesn't really come up much in this episode the idea of a multiverse theory, but it does appear Charlie's in some other sort of dimension. And and now the task is to bring him back because the, the fact that he asks, uh, I'm sorry, the fact that she asks, where did he go? He's just gone. Well, no, that's not a satisfactory answer. Certainly not for, for Alice, but You'd think they had learned their lesson earlier, but Q and Alice start studying a spell to bring Charlie back, and I guess we'll see how that goes. Um, Well, it didn't seem like it went very well. No, because uh, he's some kind of demon. I don't – I mean, is that Charlie? Has Charlie changed? I mean, did Alice really not know her brother? Yeah, there's two possibilities here. Um, well, actually, there might be more, but there's two that I can think of. It's one, where, as Quentin says, it's just not Charlie, you know, because this is some horrible, evil, demonic thing. That's kind of the way I tend to lean on, on this issue. The other is, as you're suggesting, is that maybe the last five years, Charlie has become warped or changed or something like that. But look, I, especially what we saw of Charlie, you know, actually going to those great lengths to try and help a friend. It doesn't seem like this creature that comes out of the the water is Charlie at all. It's just something that has taken his form, yes, but it's. I don't think it's him. No, and I agree. And it, it could be, as you said, several things. It could be that he was a good guy when it happened, and as a result of whatever circumstances – uh, he, he's in has changed him we don't know but quentin tries to help he tries to fix things binds charlie to a box and and, and again he thinks he's helped but alice is really angry you had no idea what i was doing and i'm thinking well i wonder how much of an idea you really had of what yeah, you were doing exactly Right, right. Because, I mean, that's exact. I mean, it's it's going down 
almost exactly as it did in Emily's reconstruction of what happened to Charlie before. Right? It, it, and I, I didn't go back and look, but it seems like she's making even like kind of the same hand movements that Charlie was making back then. And you can see it starting to, that, that blue orb that around her hand starting to envelop her. I, you know, again, I kind of got to go with Quentin on this one. Yeah, and and then she goes back to her room, packs her bags, and prepares to leave. To what end? Is she going to try to go solo and try to get Charlie back? Well, it seems to me, at least from what we're presented, she's going to need to be on Break Bill's campus to do that. I kind of doubt they're going to let her just hang around and try to bring her brother back from whatever dimension he's in if she's not a student there so it's not really clear what that's all about right because um, yeah especially her whole point of being at break bills i mean she snuck herself in there uh, in order to to do this and now she's just gonna leave like what are you gonna do out there it could be a temporary you know fit of anger that you know she'll you know, kind of get over. It seems like if you leave, it's not like things are 100% done as we see with like Penny and with Quentin before. Like you just, you know, it, it seems like break bills will kind of take you back um, as long as you come to your senses pretty quickly. Yeah. Now you mentioned Penny and, and he's a character that's starting to grow on me. And during the test, he really, it's not that he finds out he's psychic. It's just that it's verified for him that he is psychic. But he also learns that he's got another much, much cooler ability. But I, I guess what I like about him is, is that he's really at war with his power, that mm-hmm. he he likes it, he understands it, but on so many levels, he wishes he didn't have it, but I can't help but feel his role in the coming war against the beast may end up being the most important of all of our characters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We can definitely see that, uh, especially this ability to, well, he's a traveler. Right? Yeah. Um, but unlike the travelers that we like to talk about, he can travel between worlds rather than between times. And, you know, obviously the setting up this multiverse that they have, that's going to be pretty important for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you you definitely feel for Penny. I mean, like when he accosts Quentin, he's like, you know, for humming Taylor Swift in his head, how awful that if you had access to everyone's thoughts, you know, unfiltered. Right, and you can hear every person think, humming a song in their head. You're going to hear all that, and it just like it would. It seems like that's something that would just completely drive you mad. Well, right, he has to be comfortable with this ability, and when he's sent to the training area for psychics, you, you have to assume that's something they cover at some point in their lesson of really how to how to deal with this. Is it a curse or is it a blessing? I think for him, he f- senses it's a curse. But then we get that visual where he finds himself on that rooftop. And you mentioned him being a traveler. It's very much like five in Umbrella Academy, 
where he can travel mm-hmm. through time and space. Right. And I don't know if it's something he knew he could do or if it just exposed itself. And now he's going to have to learn to deal with this power as well. But damn, pretty pretty yeah. cool for sure yeah I, I i definitely don't think he knew about it before sunderland didn't even know because she's like i thought you were just a psychic but you know it's um you know obviously more right and he's told that that this ability is the rarest so we don't even know whether or not there's anybody at break bills like him or is he the only one i get the sense he might be the only one yeah yeah definitely which which would be probably good for him because he's like you know doesn't really want other like he says to the psychically you know less talking no touching (laughs) yeah 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 right but then at the end i mean fog reads him the riot act you will study this you will master this because they need his ability to defeat the beast and he's going to start his training with uh sunstrom but wow just uh maybe the biggest revelation of the episode so uh anything else you want to bring up well just like we've seen this kind of tough love from fog before right when when quentin first comes to break bills and and he yells i'm just do the goddamn magic and then you know quentin is able to do the thing with the cards uh the same thing here you know i guess fog knows sometimes you gotta just you gotta be harsh and and like any good coach would know that or teacher coach whatever would knows that you know kind of the balance between when to be you know when to be nurturing and when to be tough yep all right anything else just you know one thing uh with julia uh before james comes into the apartment you see she pulls the shirt down over her tattoos so it's like oh i didn't you know, notice that yeah, so how are you going to be in a relationship and not have him ever see your arm? Good you know? point. Like so, but I guess you know that the Adderall thing. She could also explain that away. Oh, well, just the one last thing. So you know, this is kind of like how this is like an improvement over Harry Potter. Is we get scenes where like uh, people like drinking and everything. So, you know, it's like, uh, it's like Harry Potter was with, with sex, drugs, and alcohol. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, I, I'm going to give it a B plus. I, I don't know about you. I, I sense something lower coming. Well, I, I, I think after talking about it, I've kind of been up to a B. At first, I was thinking maybe a C plus ish, but uh, I'm going to give it a solid B. I can't give it a B plus, just not in any good conscience. Um, I, I think the, the main reason is I, I just, especially this character of Quentin, and I, I just find him, I just, I just think it's just so inconsistent. Like, you know, he can be very supportive and, and, and rational and one, uh, like with Alice, and then such an, you know, an a-hole uh, with with Julia, that um, yeah, I, I just he's just kind of like a a so so far. I know we're waiting for him, and eventually he's probably going to take his place at the front of this group. But right now, it just seems like he's just such a like nothing character, right? Like like he's he's just all reaction to other people. He he doesn't make his own path. So I don't know. 
I, I, I think in the long run, probably I will, obviously I'm, I can anticipate my uh, feelings about him, but right now I'm just like uh, not into him. And, and, you know, for all the, you know, people we've seen that said they like the characters, for the most part, I think I do like the characters and I thought I liked Quentin, but in this one, I just not so much. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'll right. just give it a B. Okay. All right. Well, let's hear what Fred has to say this week and then we'll come back and talk about it. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Magicians, Season 1, Episode 3. First, I want to come back to last podcast. I said something about that Elliot and Margot seem to be quite nice and a lot nicer than I expected from the first episode, where I got the impression they were just older years, senior students that were teasing the young freshmen. You said that it seems that Elliot is more kind of a mentor for Quentin and is taking him under his wing. And for Margot, it was not so clear yet. We didn't see her interact that much with Quentin and Alice. I think in this third episode, we really see Margot, although in her own way, help Alice. So I think they're both not that bad. About this episode, first off, one thing I want to mention is that when we see Penny visit Chinatown and he is picked up there by Professor Sunderland and Dean Falk, I know exactly where that was. This was filmed at the entrance of the Sun Yat-sen Chinese Garden in Vancouver in Canada, which I visited in October 2016. I walked just at the same spot as Penny did. I posted some pictures on the Facebook page to show it. In this garden, by the way, several scenes for the series Continuum were filmed as well. A series well known to Mike and Dave, of course. They did the Liber 8 podcast about that series. Actually, I found a scene from Continuum, season 1, episode 4, where Kira and Carlos are running towards the Sun Yat-sen garden, and they are running at exactly the same spot as where Penny just bumped into this Chinese guy and walked on and then picked up by Professor Sunderland and Dean Fogg. Because of this continuum scene, I was there and took some photographs and selfies. And the funny thing is that now, three years later, it's exactly at the same spot for the magicians. I just love Canadian film industry and its filming locations, filming sites. Okay, first little nitpick. Why does Dean Falk remove his glasses when he wants to make point? He does this in the classroom in the beginning of the episode and in the van with Professor Sunderland and Penny. Does he assume that his listeners are more impressed by his artificial glass eyes than by his sunglasses? Last week I was talking about Marina's group and what kind of role she has or her group has. And indeed from this episode I get a little bit in impression it's a rogue kind of group of magicians. Elliot calls them amateurs, magical, de-leaguers, sad and desperate people. So dropouts out of break bills or people that don't want to go into break bills and they probably need some stuff from break bills and there is Katie uh, playing a role. But what power they have over her is still unclear. We didn't hear anything about Fillory this episode, by the way. Okay, uh, all the first-year students have their 
specialties and Alice has her specialty is phosphoromancy so she can break light. Quintance is undetermined. I really wonder if that stays this way or that he will get his specialty later, later in this season or perhaps even later in the series. What is Penny's hypersensitivity all about? I don't really understand it. He hears Taylor Swift in Quinton's head or something like that. I thought his specialty was moving, but he is also in some way sensitive to the needs of others or whatever. He also sensed that he should go to the, the summoning of Charlie's spirit. And then later on, of course, the... The beast came out of the mirror. Talking about Charlie, what has happened to Charlie? He dissolved more or less? Is the spirit we see coming out of the fountain, is that really Charlie or is that the beast? Or is Charlie indeed somehow captured by evil forces? And is the good Charlie still in there somehow? Well, I think we have just have to wait. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred. P.S. This is a private conversation, you know. Well, meow. All right, now you, you mentioned before we started recording the, about Fred's travel log. And, and yeah, uh, Fred, I definitely post these pictures on the Facebook group if you haven't already. I think he did actually post them on the Facebook group, at least some of them. But he... If you follow Fred from the Netherlands at all, he, he really likes to travel to the cities where a lot of these genre shows are filmed. And I guess they have organized tours that you could go to, I, I guess, and and conventions. And, and as he says, he just loves the Canadian film industry. And man, what's not the love? That That's for sure. sure. Yeah, absolutely. But, but well, that was cool, yeah. like the pictures in he says being in Sun Yat-sen, oh yeah, uh, garden and everything. Because you know, like especially with like the, you know the continuum aspect of the two, it was such a big part of that show. Yeah. Now, uh, talking about the episode itself, he does have a nitpick that he wants to address, and it has to do with Dean Fogg removing his glasses. Is he trying to make a point? I I guess. I wasn't sure whether he's trying to make a point to the students or whether he's trying to make a point to the viewer because the last we saw his eyeballs were resting on a table. Right. <laughs> so whatever magic they can do at break bills, it includes new eyes because they look real. And while we assume he can't see properly at this point, I think conventional wisdom tells us that he eventually will regain his sight. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that, that's a good point because it happens twice. Obviously, part of it, I think, is just for the, the people in the show to indicate, hey, look, he's got eyes. And, you know, that's kind of like step one in this, like, like you said, I think this development of eventually him regaining his sight or maybe even having, you know, extra powers through the eyes. Uh, so step one is to show the audience, okay, he's, he's got eyeballs back in his head. But also, you have to admit that that's kind of effective. Like, he's trying to make a point with Penny to pull off the glasses and just say, hey, you know, I'm here still fighting and trying, and I just got my eyes ripped out. So don't sit here and complain about your little, you know, minor issues. 
Like right. you're you whining know? about having to listen to somebody hum Taylor Swift. Right. Exactly. You know, how would you like to have your eyes pulled out? Well, let me show you. Now he brings up the fact that we don't hear anything about fillery in this episode. And that's really not something I've really even thought about, but I guess that is kind of important, but I then go back to the fact that we do have 13 episodes and and we talked about this last time, how so many shows are going down to 10 in many cases, only eight episodes, albeit a a few minutes longer each week. But I I feel fairly confident they're going to return to the fillery storyline. And then we're back to determining whether it's an actual dimension with real people that we're going to be able to travel to. Is it in, quentin's head so uh, i'm assuming it might get addressed next week i have not watched ahead have you no i haven't and that's another thing about this show like and i guess i've been watching like the oa and everything so you know i haven't really but i i haven't really felt this really you know intense desire to to watch ahead good you know so, which is, I guess Fred would ap- applaud that, but you know, I also think that um, it could be maybe a bit more gripping at this point. Um, but uh, you know, but like I said, I don't, I don't dislike it. I think there's a lot of great things going for it, but right now, I'm just not feeling like that burning need to to binge this show in, in like in a couple of days. Yeah. Well, you know, y- you mentioned. Uh a poll and and, uh, he asks about the poll that Marina's group has over Katie. I'll just say Katie still has a poll over me for damn sure. Uh, But, but again, I I do like the two disparate magic groups that we don't know whether they're at odds, whether they will come together against the beast. So I, I, I really like that. But still, as, as Fred says, what is it? that causes Katie maybe selling out her friends is too strong, but she certainly, again, maybe it's not even fair to say selling out break bills. I'm not sure what they really want from her. So, well, well, right. Especially when we think, okay, she gave them the book, which, but then that just led, you know, Elliot and Quentin to Pete's group and for Quentin to, be reunited with Julia. So maybe that was like the plan all along. You know, we certainly get the feeling, as we said last week, that, you know, Katie is not like a willing participant in this group. Like they've, it seems like they've got something on her that she has to do this because she's definitely, we can see not happy with uh, having to work with Marina and her group. Right. And in so many ways, though, she seems to be the perfect magician for Marina's group in terms of her anti-establishment kind of view, or at least from what we've seen. But yeah, so I guess we'll get more of that later. Now, he also brings up Penny's hypersensitivity, and and you you kind of addressed that a few minutes ago, that I, I think we have to try to get into his head if you will that what must it be like on the one hand oh that would be really cool yeah it might be cool for the first day or so but i'm not sure how cool it would be after that so i think we have to try to understand where penny's coming from about that power and 
as we said a few minutes ago, now that he's got his traveler power that may just supersede the psychic abilities, but but maybe not. And you know, and, and then he brings up Quentin's undetermined major and and wondering whether how they're going to carry that out for a while. I wondered the same thing too, and in a way. How fitting would it be is if we get to the end of the first season and he still doesn't know what his power is? Yeah, I I would yeah, I, I totally think that's probably what would happen. What I would imagine would happen. It's just you know, we get to like the last episode and all of a sudden he's in some kind of you know, situation where he's just kind of naturally his power asserts itself. You know, we've seen a little bit cuz he's able to to do that card trick on the the day he was accepted to to break bills so you know maybe it's some kind of physical thing he seems to be with the physical kids right that's the where he's staying right right Right. um so but yeah i could definitely see that suddenly you know manifesting itself in this you know climactic final fight well and you wonder whether this malaise that he seems to carry around impacts and impedes his ability to do magic when he wants to do magic, as opposed to only being able to do magic when he's under an inordinate amount of stress. Right, right, right. So, uh, and then lastly, Fred brings up Charlie. And and as we said, I think at this point, what's interesting is, is the fact that we were presented Charlie as this good guy who would do whatever he could to help somebody yet the Charlie and I'm making air quotes that, that we see at the end seems to certainly have an evil side and you know, who's the real Charlie and I guess we'll find out Fred. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Fred also gives us in addition to his audio feedback he gives us a, a pdf file with some of his main points and he throws pictures in there and while i think he put up in the facebook group the ones uh, when he went to uh tour the continuum site you know you mentioned the sun yet sen garden <laughs> did you see the ones it's there's one of alice and and uh, one of margo and she tells margo this was a private conversation. Well, meow. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> like, that that's a good one. Funny. <laughs> it was funny at the time, but yeah. to see the pictures the way Fred. Yeah, he, he caught Margo in, in that perfect moment of like <laughs> a sarcastic kind of effrontery. Yeah. And, you know what? And speaking of capturing scenes from shows, now, I don't think either of us watches Star Trek Discovery. Fred watches and provides a lot of feedback for the podcast. I believe it's the one with Golden Spiral Media. But he also helps out with the blog post. And, oh, my gosh, I was looking at the the last one he did where, I, I, dude, there had to be 20 screen caps that he provided. I don't watch the show, so I don't understand the significance of them. But not only how much work, Fred, you put into that, but just they all seem to capture the characters in in such great situations poses if you will so wow (laughs) those guys over at star trek discovery are lucky to have you dude (laughs) yeah definitely so all right anything else uh nope okay 
Well, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this episode of The Magicians and this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. We want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about The Magicians. Travelers, Haunting of Hill House, anything else going on in genre TV. We've got Dark on the Horizon. Encourage you to join the Facebook group. Share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. If you're already a member, spread the word. Emails can go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails via the SpeakPipe, which you can access through the website, or just send us your own audio file as an attachment. We'll be back next week to continue our discussion of the magicians with season one, episode four, titled The World in the Walls. But until then. You know, I when I was younger I had this kind of torrid affair with a trapeze artist, you know, and it was it was crazy and some of the things it did, just like you know, I can't even go into it, but uh, you know, like basically her philosophy is you can't do it till you're doing it without a net. <laughs>